Are you looking for an open-minded perspective? Different view or a different take? Well, this is Lost in the Groove, society and culture podcast, donor culture, and deep dive. See here, we're all about the experience, all about the journey, and getting into the groove. In garage band as well? Hey guys, this meeting's being recorded. Yes, yeah. this meeting just, is just being so recorded. Everybody We're in a lot of fucking trouble right now. Jesus Christ, <laughs> might come for us. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Lost in the Groove. Uh, today is a little bit of an action-packed, adventurous episode. We got two drink maximum here on the show. Hey. Um, Good to be here. Yes. Good to be here. Uh, so a little bit of introductions. Uh, why don't you guys uh, give a little bit of an introduction about your show, um, which is kind of new. Kind mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, where are you guys coming out from? And yeah, let's jump right into it. I will default to Shane on that one because it did originate in his brain. <laughs> so the, the the idea of our show, Two Drink Maximum, obviously a play on the, you know, stand up comedy, uh, you know, place like Two Drink Minimum, right? Is just we wanted to have uh, a show where we had conversations with interesting people over the course of two drinks um, and nothing more than that. So if our guests wanted to drink two shots of tequila, it will be a 10 minute long episode. But if you wanted to pick like a cocktail, we'll generally have a little bit more of a lengthy conversation. So our goal here is just to have interesting conversations with interesting people and share it over two cocktails or adult beverages of some kind and uh, and we're you know we are new as you said and we're just starting to get out there but we're having a blast so far yeah we're about four episodes in so far in this current season we just recently recorded some more episodes that are going to be coming out shortly over um the coming end of winter here and into spring and so far it's been a really wonderful experience just getting to have these amazing conversations with people it's really amazing also to um, be Twix. There you go, honey. Come on. There you go, baby. She's our Set producer. Yes, yeah, she's the producer of the show. <laughs> yeah, there you um, go. Very, very important. Very important. And, it, mm-hmm. and, and this kind of ties into like the thing of about having, um, you know, that conversation. One of the most important things about podcasting is you're talking thinking. What you're thinking in your head, you're actually talking because you're mm-hmm. having that conversation with the person. It's all in action. It's all in real life. When you find, you know, for example, a group like you guys and you come together and you make a show, that connection, what you're hearing, you know, you immediately pick up on it the second you yeah. start listening to. And then that's something that I find just Thank incredible you. about podcasting. You can't find with other media or other platforms that just... I don't know what the word is. Well, it's have you ever seen that meme on online where it's like a it's like a per, picture of a of a kid sitting in front of a television box and on the television there's people like having fun and like having a conversation and he's like sitting there eating cereal with them. Podcasts are like that where it's just like even though you're just listening to it, mm-hmm. if they're done correctly, it feels like you're having a conversation with friends and it feels like you're kind of a part of it. And so that's what we wanted to do with our show and that's what you guys do with your show. Is it feels just like a conversation that you're having with friends. And even though the audience isn't technically a part of it, you want them to feel that way. And so good podcasting does that. We hope and we feel anyway. We're trying our best to deliver that. (laughs) (laughs) It, you know, um, uh, one thing that like we were, we were talking about, um, especially having this conversation today was movies. Um, Okay, here's the thing. Like, I'm one of those people where when I start hearing conversations and I hear movies starting being mentioned, I'm like, all right, all right. What kind of movies are you into? And (laughs) you messaged me back and I was like, you said Batman. And I was like, okay, all right, all right. And then it was the Tim Burton Batman. And I was like, oh, literally my favorite Batman movie of all time. Really? Yes, yeah. I was six years old. I'll never forget this. I was six years old. I went to Hollywood videos with my mom. We picked it up on VHS. <laughs> That's awesome. And I watched awesome. it on a Saturday night. I'll never forget that. That's incredible. Yeah, see, we're right around the same age. Mm-hmm. My my introduction to that movie was I was not allowed to watch it with my parents. So they went on vacation when I was five Ooh. and I gaslit my grandparents into sneaky. believing that I was allowed to watch it. So when it came on television, we recorded it off of the TV. And then when my mm-hmm. parents came back, I was like, well, you know, I, I watched this movie. And then I think as a six year old, I proceeded to watch it 
over a hundred times. I mean, just I, I wore out the VHS tape. Oh, yeah. You know, it's yeah. It was also a, a common VHS tape that's always in my VCRs. So it's just such a fun movie, and just Batman's just a wonderful character, and it's just like dripping with style all over with the Tim Burton thing. So that was one of my leaping off he, points into just loving that. Tim Burton stuff. He did that. There was something where Tim Burton took. Batman, the way that he portrayed Joker, I mean, he he was Jack Nicholson, okay? Mm -hmm. The, the, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Michael Keaton played Batman. I mean, the, the, the way that the characters were put together, and this is the thing I love about films, is when you get the right producer, get the right director that just mm-hmm. he's got the story and he's making it work around his artistic creation. Mm-hmm. You get 1989 Batman. Yeah. This this weird hyper gothic, like toned down Michael Keaton doing his best deliveries, everything and everything just like clicks and works. And it's so like <laughs> so innate, like so brooding all over it. And you just it reads and you're like, yes, that's Batman and that's the Joker. And like this is a comic book jumped out of the page into a film. It's just it's beautiful. Oh, it is. It really and it's is. a great it's a great reminder too to like trust filmmakers to know what they're doing a little bit right mm-hmm. when when Michael Keaton got cast the the, the internet didn't even everybody exist but it. if the internet would have existed yeah. everybody lost their mind oh you cast Mr Mom as mm-hmm. as Batman and they just couldn't see it and then that teaser trailer came out that didn't have a soundtrack it was just cut together lines of dialogue and it blew everyone away and it was like oh he's gonna be awesome as Batman and he's so awesome as Batman they're bringing him back again apparently or they or they keep Someday, out of the Batman movies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. if the flash movie ever gets released who knows <laughs> but yeah he's great man he's he's the goat batman for sure mm-hmm. well it's kind of the it's kind of the thing especially like when you look at the um when you look at the mainstream media when it comes to filmmaking especially today see the thing is as a kid that i grew up in the early 2000s and experiencing all of the 90s and all of the the con comedy that we were like talking about the action film because that was really mm-hmm. popular like action comedy dramas those were really important part of the 90s and the 2000s mm-hmm. um but what kind of has shifted now more is where it's more about conglomerate you know it's all about um monetary value of how much merchandise you can make you know using this famous person to be in this film so they can be able to make more of a profit mm-hmm. i feel there's a little bit of a loss of creativity when it comes to making these films like they did 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, the thing that's, that's disappointing is just because of the way the Hollywood machine works now, making a good movie is a second or third goal. Um, when you're when you're making a large budget, especially anything that's a potential franchise or anything like mm-hmm. that, and all the aspects of profitability, like you just said, when it comes to merchandise and theme parks and all sorts of things, those are so much of more of a consideration than they ever were before that I do feel like that the end product of the movie, which should be the number one goal, yeah. is secondary at this point. And it's a little bit disappointing to see that kind of take root because um, you just don't, you know, not to sound like an old cranky geezer, but they just <laughs> don't quite make them like they used to anymore. And again, this is coming from people that are from two different generations. I come Mm -hmm. from a generation right after yours. And I can tell you as somebody from my age group, we can say this, we're our, you know, uh, view and of the media that we were exposed to is very different. Right. Very different. A lot more access online, a lot more instant information streaming through everything. And just like the volume of media and content that exists is is overwhelming <laughs> with, with everything that you can get to just with the streaming services and all the different channels and ten thousand networks and well there's still only like five film companies but all this access to everything everywhere and you have infinite access to all the media that existed before and is to come and that was something like you're mentioning we growing up had to go down to a you know blockbuster and pull a tape off a shelf and you got one and you had to go and return it but now you could just click through ten thousand things and it's all there to learn and take in. So it's it's really yeah. wild. And I can't imagine how difficult it must be to find quality stuff amongst all the noise in the world. Yeah. Younger generations just do not. They will never know the feeling of going to a blockbuster on a Friday night, learning that the movie that you wanted was out mm. of stock. Yes. And, and that was the end of it. You just weren't going to see that movie. <laughs> there was nothing you could do. And then you usually have to either pick from the staff pick, which. No offense, they usually sucked in my blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And, you know, I remember that I remember th- this was something really fun that we had because I grew up like um, I grew up outside of New York City. I grew up um, okay. in Rockland County and we had um, we had a Hollywood videos and their shtick was. They would have it was like called a party pack, so you'd rent like three movies. And back in the day, they used to give you this giant bag of popcorn, it was this big bucket mm. and there's yeah. just a, a bag of popcorn at the bottom of it. And then, you know, you take it home, you put it in the microwave and it would blow up. Um, And it was like, it was called like a seven of a seven or a night, you know, where like you get like a few movies and you get all these snacks. And I just remember Mm -hmm. as a kid, like, wow. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was like the coolest thing. Like, can we go and you like, just get the deal. It was a whole Um, evening's worth of entertainment. And I know, I remember, I remember the bucket you're talking about as a kid, it looked like it was big enough to take a bath in, you know, the bucket was just larger than life, you know, and then magically fill a popcorn and, I know. I know. <laughs> Where did it come from? It's crazy. Yeah. But, you know, look, I mean, there's upsides to the way things are now, too. I mean, it's yes. nice that, you know, there's any movie that you want. It's it's on iTunes or it's a digital yeah. now. And it's like, oh, great. If you want to rewatch Titanic or whatever it is, it's like, boom, you're three clicks away and maybe a couple bucks away from renting it. And, you know, you have it now. So it's definitely got its upsides. But, yeah, I, I think all three of us are we long for the days of the, the pinnacle of Friday night was going to Blockbuster, yeah. walking away with three tapes and then staying up all night, eating popcorn and drinking way too much soda with your buddies. <laughs> I I have to share this because I had um I had recently um a friend of mine she had um her daughter mm-hmm. and she's about like I think she's maybe like 15 or 16 years old and I was just talking with her this was over the holidays and you know she was telling me how she like she was bumming out I was like what's going on and she said like you know she's having problems with her phone um you know we're like you know she can't really use it she's not getting like proper service and she can't like really like FaceTime her friends and stuff mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting there and I'm, I'm, I was baked as, I was baked as fuck, but (laughs) I was just laughing my brains out. And she was like, what's so funny? And I'm like, girl, when I was fit, when I was your age, do you know what, what I had to do if I needed to get in contact with people? I had to borrow somebody's (laughs) phone. Okay. Or I, I begged my dad for a sidekick so bad. He sent me one. Okay. I had a sidekick because I needed one. All right. And I was like one of the cool kids in the class. I'm like, you're bitching about you not being able to face. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember. Yeah. Rotary phones and pay phones were the only option. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're we're a little bit older than you. Right. So you might have missed out on this. But the thing that Chase and I definitely remember is back in the day, you knew your friend's parents. Because when you called their house, you yes. had to have a two-minute conversation with them. You mm-hmm. didn't just call your friend and they got right on the phone. If I wanted to talk to Chase, I had to talk to his parents before they would allow me to be on the phone with him. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like that's that's is a concept that I think that you know that younger kids today would just be completely baffled by. But it but it used to happen. It was so much harder to get in touch with everybody. It really was, yeah. Also, just reminds me of landline and dial-up world, where. Back in the day when you could be on the internet and if somebody called your house, you were no longer on the internet. That's right. So before I make too much awkward lip smacking noises on the podcast, I think we yes. should probably say we are drinking gin and tonics today. Correct. Um, we are. And that was your choice, Dave. So if you, if you wouldn't mind, just tell us, do you have a connection to the gin and tonic? Is that a special drink for you or what, uh, what made you choose the drink? So um, I'm going to pour myself one actually right now. Um, yeah. So the story of a gin and tonic. Um, I I went through a religious crusade in 2017. Um, I went through like a sabbatical of figuring out my sexuality and what I wanted to be and who I wanted to be as a person. And I moved to Israel. Um, one of the weirdest things experience of Israel was not actually meeting Israelis, was meeting people that were British. I met ah. a lot of British people in England, in um, not in Israel, and one of the first like gentlemen's drinks I was exposed to was a gin and tonic, and I remember mm. uh, his name was Brian, and he was this uh, you know London posh, you know he wore a nice suit, Savile Row suit, yeah, okay, yeah. he was a wonderful, he was a wonderful man, and Cla- classically he, British, classically exactly, classically <laughs> British. And he made me a gin and tonic exactly like this. It was made mm. with the Schweppes. Schweppes. I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, Schweppes. Schweppes. Um, and Schweppes. It's a fun word. It is a fun word. 
Schweppes. God, I got to stop. They might actually charge us for using their name <laughs> in this podcast. Schweppes. Schweppes sounds like what the Nike symbol looks like. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. the, it looks like that's what it should be called. Oh, yes, look at the Nike exactly. Schweppes. Yes. <laughs> the Nike um, but he basically, I basically had my very first gin and tonic was like this, was with a beef eater, um, dry gin, and the tonic water and lime. I actually have it with lime, not lemon. Mm. And I just fell in love with it. It's so simple and it's so refreshing. And I don't care it's such a gentleman's drink, but it's like, uh, this drink just makes me happy. It's just like a drink yeah. that just always has made me happy. That is the important thing too. Do not Absolutely. let anybody ever push you around and tell you that you can't drink gin and tonic because it's stuffy or anything like that. And you know, I, I, might, I might be the person telling you that gin and tonics are stuffy, but you go ahead and drink them. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let him get in your way. Yeah. You know, my my dad, not really a drinker, um, you know, hardly at all. But it was like a weird tradition that anytime we'd go on family vacation out of nowhere, he would just buy a big bottle of gin and tonic. And every time he'd make himself a gin and tonic on vacation, he'd, he'd make a point to look at my mother and I and go, I earned this. <laughs> and he would drink it. So it's my dad. My dad's drink of choice is a gin and tonic, but it seems to be exclusively on vacation, not at home. Can't enjoy them at home. We have to be somewhere, some island, some beach, whatever. I'm just going to start doing that every time I have a drink now. It's like, I earned this. Right you gotta look at you gotta look like you have like a thousand yard like i've been to war stare well cool dude well thank you yeah of course thank you and, for sharing your story there that's neat yeah, yeah of course and you know i that's like the thing that i really i i, sh I wanted to point about about this earlier was the idea of the mm -hmm. two drink maximum um the idea of having a drink on a podcast and I'll be honest, one of my first experiences of like hearing drinking on a podcast was like, like Joe Rogan. Um, but I love this idea of like, you know what, instead of just being just whiskey or it's just everything. It's just like, you know, like we have one drink and we talk about it and then like we move on to something else. It's like because there's a lot of different drinks that are out there. There's like, you know, different flavors and different stories behind mm -hmm. it and what people like about them. And yeah, alcohol is cool. All right. Just always, yeah. always the uh, the different memories that are connected because you just shared yeah. obviously your your memory. Like you don't get that from a lot of people because a lot of times it's like, hey, what are you drinking? And, and it's it's a lead into whatever conversation that person was aiming to happen. Um, but if you're like, tell me why you're drinking that, that's a whole a whole new can of worms for everybody. And it's really interesting right. to see what what people attach to the different drinks and the just the moments in their life that they're connected to. It's where memories are made. And there's sometimes. so many. Oh, yeah. for sure. I mean, that's one of the things that we said earlier on in the in the you know in the show on our show was I don't think you've ever had a really meaningful conversation with anybody over a glass of water. That's never happened, right? It's the no. meaningful conversations you have in your life that you remember. They were they were with a drink, you know. They they you know it was over a glass of wine by a fireplace, or it was you know a beer after a long day of work, and um, you know. So that's kind of what we were going for um, with just trying to do that. And the cool thing is, I mean, as you pointed out, there's so many different types of alcohol. There's so many different mixers there's so many options that it's theoretically possible if you were so inclined you could never have the same drink in your life right you could literally drink something different every single time so the possibilities are endless if you really worked at it yeah some people are actually and actually in an entire country <laughs> called great britain but yeah they're working on it let me ask you a quick question though I heard, a, I heard a rumor that everybody from israel is unquestionably incredibly attractive i have heard that like it's like it's just like in the water that they're just like that olive skin they're just like incredibly good looking folks over there men and women is that is that true i've never been but i've heard from a few different sources that it's like it's like there's a different breed over there there is some truth mm -hmm. um and i'm here about it to share the tea and <sighs> I, Let's spill it. I'm so the thing is I'm Middle Eastern. Um, my family we are Sephardic Jews. We originate from Spain. Um, mm -hmm. My family came over to Morocco. And the thing about Israelis are what you're referring to. They're not actually Israelis. Oh, okay. They're Sephardim. They're from <laughs> Libya, Lebanon, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, Egypt, okay. uh, Jordan. They're from different other regions where Jewish uh, were people of the tribe um, left. And when the Israel formed the state of Israel um, in 1947, 
they did a lot of horrible things to the Sephardi Jews to get them to come over to the land. But what we basically did was like, we're going to kind of take control of all the media and network and government, which we did. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, ups and it, downs. It has its ups uh, and downs, right? <laughs> the point is basically like the whole like model fashion, um, beauty of, of Israel mm-hmm. is just. Sephardi Jews that immigrated to the country. So I'm kind it's of amazing marketing. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. You but it is see? true. But it you is learn true. something new every day. Aren't you glad you got up this morning, Chase? I am. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's very, very fascinating. <laughs> so what, how long did you travel through Israel? Um, well, I was there for, I was there from 2017 until 2019. Okay. You so you, you really got the lay of the land. You got, yeah. you got integrated there. That's awesome. Yeah, it was um, it was a really wonderful it was a really wonderful experience. Um, was you know, there when, any culture shock for you? Um, a little bit. You know, it's it's kind of hard because I've I've spoken about this on the podcast before. Um, I will say this again: I am a very strong believer of a two state solution, and it mm-hmm. has nothing to do with politics or anything to do with that. It has to do with me working with. Those people, you know, I actually like, you know, I work with them in kitchens. I had friends. Um, I used to go to the old city. I used to go to the Arab Shuk, uh, the Arab Quarter, and it was just, it's so beautiful to be a part of other cultures. I love to, um, that was kind of the thing that I loved about Israel was learning from other people, learning um, different traditions, different spices, different types of clothes, different types of music. Mm-hmm. Um People fascinate me. Yeah. People are fascinating. They are. I think that's something we all share in common. If you, let me ask you something. If you, if you had a travel budget, uh, you know, kind of saved away, Mm. would that be your choice destination to go back? Or would you want to try to explore another, uh, a different uh, place on planet earth? Well, I think one of the number, one of the number one places I would love to visit um, would probably be my home country, which is Morocco, uh, which Mm. I've been, trying to i would love to go back to israel i mean i have family out. i have a lot of family out there mm-hmm. um and they're they're wild israeli my family like they are wild israelis you know like they're like hello daddy you want to go party let's go party we go get breakfast that sounds awesome and we just i i like i loved it i mean i had i had just an amazing time with my family and the people that were there um but yeah i would totally 100 percent, i would go back yeah, that's awesome. It sounds cool. Is if they're not to put you on the spot, but if there was like if you had to boil it down to one thing that mm-hmm. you you would tell everybody like you, this is the thing you got to do, you got to experience when you go there to Israel. That, what would be the one thing? It's like you can't you cannot miss this. Um, so I would tell people is Jerusalem is great. Um, if you are a person, I'm going to be very honest. If you are a person that represents a part of the queer community. In any shape or form, you might not feel very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, there are areas that are safe, but if you are somebody that just wants to have an open experience in Israel, two places I would recommend. Um, you can go up north, okay? So areas like Tferia. Um, You can also go, for example, on the other side of Israel, like Herzliya um, and Haifa, uh, which are around the coast. Um, Akko is another place around over there. Um, uh, Jaffa, which is the old old Jaffa as well, Jaffa and old Jaffa, uh, Tel Aviv. Um, the thing about Israel is because of how small it is, you can do pretty much all of these places <laughs> in about yeah. like a week or two. Okay. So I would say kind of go around the coast, go up north and then come back down to Jerusalem. That's usually like it's kind of like a hook. Um, but that would be the best way if you'd want to travel Israel on a vacation for like a week and a half or two. Very cool. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Sounds a little bit bigger than Delaware, where my family's from. You can do the whole state in a day. <laughs> wait, you're from, wait a minute, you're from Delaware? Well, I'm not. I'm from Texas originally with Chase, oh, but my, okay. my mother and my father's side of the family are both from Delaware. So they Interesting. have. So it's a, I mean, it is a, it's a very, I mean, such a small state that it is, it, it is not unreasonable <laughs> to suggest that I have family members that know Joe Biden. It's can, that small. You can you drive know, across in like four hours. Yeah, exactly. And you can, you can cross the whole state in like two or three hours. So yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah. I, I, I've been to, um, it's funny, like, you know, we're talking about, you know, especially with traveling, um, 
you know, I've been over, for example, abroad, like, for example, with with you guys, have you guys been to anywhere overseas? Um, I have been to a few places. Um, well, it's not technically over. Well, Puerto Rico is nearby. I've been to Canada. I've been to Italy. I've been to Brazil. Um, I basically have all of the Americas covered for me personally. Um, I have all the states except like Montana and Hawaii. Um, that I'm still working on trying to find reasons to get out there. Uh, but I, I really enjoy traveling. I think it's amazing for anybody did to you, get out into the world. Did you just suggest for one second that you need to find a reason to go to Hawaii? Come on, man. It's Hawaii. Yeah. That, that's the reason to go. You don't need a reason to go to Hawaii. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you really, you, I mean, there's literally an entire movie called Lilo and Stitch with an incredible <laughs> soundtrack. Like, you need any more of a reason? That's why you go to Hawaii. Lilo and I guess the, the real statement is I have to find time to go to Hawaii. And that, yeah. There's plenty of reasons. I will say to keep it on brand with the show too. I have been to Hawaii. My wife and I went there for our honeymoon. And well, there's a unique thing that apparently happens to many people when they go. You go to Hawaii and you and just because they're everywhere, because they're kind of like the state drink, whatever, you end up drinking Mai Tais. And you end up getting so addicted to them. You're like, these are the greatest thing. Like, why have I never had these before? Like, what like what is what have I been missing in my life? Like breakfast, give me a Mai Tai, like lunch, dinner. And then the minute you get back into the States, you have one and you're like, this is terrible. It's it's ah. sweet. It's like sugar. It's like, ugh. It, like, what was I thinking? But when you're in Hawaii, you just get addicted to those things and you my can't tie. stop. <laughs> yeah. My ties, man. Who it's knows? my tie time. I'm just, I, 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 I'm just right now in my head, just thinking of like, you know, DeGrasse Tyson, uh, uh what's he just giving like a f- philosophical answer and being like, well, actually the reason <laughs> That, that's happening. Of, yeah, yeah it is happening is because the chemical compound in your brain is changing as you go up in the air. I'm like, why? Why don't comment about why my ties taste different on the other side of the fucking ocean? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Stop ruining movies for me, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I don't need to know that Top Gun is factually inaccurate. Okay, I don't need to know that. It was don't cool. Do that? No. You know what? Okay, leave our childhood alone. <laughs> That's his bit. He's a scientist. He's telling yeah. you the truth. <laughs> I'm I'm not smart enough to know what it is, but I do know that if you go to Denver, I mean, it is the Mile High City. That that. I, I, I believe that alcohol and, and weed can affect you differently there. I do know that if you, I mean, if you play golf, which I do with my dad, you can hit a golf ball like 40, 50 yards further because the air is thinner. And mm-hmm. so you feel like you're crushing it out there. But I, but I, I don't know the science of how like other things interact with your body, but I know it is a little bit different up there. Um, you guys well, know anything have, about that? Or? Well, the thing is like, I grew up um, in New York. I grew up um in Rockland County, and there's a reason why it's called Rockland County. We are mm. on a higher elevation. Mm. And one thing that we all have gotten used to is like when you're going out and in from the city and you're going to certain parts of New Jersey and going back to where you live, you get a little bit of altitude fatigue. Some people like my mom sometimes would get it. My mm-hmm. dad would get it sometimes coming back. It was it's just normal. And I think it's because <clears throat> Isn't it strange in how our bodies are able to get affected by something that you don't even realize? You're just mm-hmm. like you're just driving and it's because of the the change of temperature and altitude. It's just Damn, yeah. bodies are there's, weird, there's, man. There's what just you, less air here, so your body has to like process yeah. as much as it can. So it, yeah. Your blood's when you a little get thinner that altitude. altitude. Yeah. When you get that altitude fatigue, how long is it? Is that like a, a, does it set you back for a day or two? Or is it like, oh, a couple hours, it'll pass? Not even. It's probably like for like 10, 15 minutes if you're lucky. Because Mm -hmm. the altitude is like literally just going up, coming down, and then doing that back and forth. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. up and down. Like if you've been on a really like aggressive hike that you you start to feel the very top of that mountain <laughs> whenever you're on those last few legs and then you you feel reinvigorated when you're coming down because you have access to more air yeah more you, oxygen yeah and you smell worse than a taxidermy and a meat <laughs> shop <laughs> but you've had the fun experience of climbing a mountain oh yeah and get eaten by a bear almost <laughs> Just hope it's not uh, that cocaine bear from that movie that's coming out uh, real soon. <laughs> I want to see that. I sold a commercial for that. Yeah, that looks like pure cinema, baby. Like I, I, mean, can't, I cannot think of a better like title, a better premise. Like <laughs> give cocaine to a grizzly bear and see what happens. That's awesome. <laughs> I would have loved to have been in that that pitch meeting. They're just randomly saying words. Uh, the cocaine uh, bears, cocaine bear. Look, I'm seeing it as a franchise. I'm, I'm fully waiting for like ecstasy Jaguar, you know? 
<laughs> there's a, there's a whole endless possibility of drugs and animals we can mesh together. Yeah, there really is. We can do this. We yeah, uh, we we can do it. Let's just write the sequel now. Let's just oh the free wheel it. So my god, Crack Gator. <laughs> That's the one I want to throw out there. Crack Gator. I think one of the one of the strangest movies that I watched that came out recently, which was an art film, uh, was White Noise, which came out on Netflix uh, with Adam Driver. Yes, I've not seen it yet. uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not not gonna give any spoilers, but I will say this: Um, Adam Driver, just my personal opinion, he's weird. I don't know. There's just something like it. Just qualify weird. It's the way he acts, like the way that he acts in scenes and films. It's just, I don't know. It's, I, it's just very unique. It's like when I'm watching him in a film, I'm very, I'm like, just, I'm glued. I want to, I want to see what he's doing. Like, I want to see what he's up to. Like, why are you moving your eyes like that? Why is your head tilting? Yeah, I think you just put your finger on it. He's got very intense eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he is, uh, I mean, it's a skill as an actor, but he is great at using his eyes as, a, as an emotional weapon. And so his acting is really usually pretty resonant because he's, yeah, he's, he's great at giving these kind of intense performances through the eyes, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why some people are just genetically born to be actors is because they have eyes that are like that, you know? But I'm glad oh. you saw White Noise. That, I, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was pretty good. But it, it's certainly... Certainly it's it's weird, it's wacky, it's not it's not a movie that you're gonna sit together with your family and like it's enjoy. An art, it's, it's an art film. That's it's an art film. It's an art film. It's an art film that ends with a four-minute choreographed dance in a supermarket to a new LCD sound system song. I mean, it's, if, if that's not your well, jam... Well, now I have to watch it. Yeah, if that's not your jam, then this is not... And it's a Don DeLillo novel, too, who is, you know... Mm. Uh, obviously, he's a writer of great critical acclaim, but he's got a very distinct style that is off-putting to many. So it's it's the what if. Um, it's I read a I read an article about it. It's the um, it's about the what if paradox. Mm-hmm. And as an artist or a creator, it's a very fun thing to go down with. For example, like let's throw one out there: What if you had the most powerful psychedelic mushroom that has ever existed, mm-hmm. and it can only mutate itself? If you manage to split the gene correctly, but if you don't, you completely destroy the entire species forever. Now, if you take that and you put it in a film and you have Russians and the Americans against each other, see where I'm going with this? Yeah, you get absolutely. like this really fun, like bizarre, like this would never happen in any point in human history. Yeah. But it's, but a fun it's fun question. to think about. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a, the burn after reading as well has a similar feel to it. Like, what if all the agent intelligence agencies didn't really know what they were doing, and everyone was just sort of scrambling around in the bureaucracy of existence? And are we doing that, that already? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and there, oh no, 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 we absolutely are. There, there was like <laughs> I, I watched an interview with a gentleman who was on John Stewart's new show, and he just wrote a book, uh, and I'll I'll pull it up in a second so I don't get the title wrong. But he has been stu- he's a he's an academic professor. He <laughs> has been studying classification of documents in the American government and all of its branches for the last twenty years. And his thesis is essentially that our system is so convoluted and so broken that, you know, with all these things going on now with President Trump and President Biden and everybody having classified documents, it's like the amount of classification, even between departments, no Mm -hmm. one really knows what the other one's doing. The levels of classification make little to no sense. And it's like, and yeah, and then they get declassified sometimes, but not really. It seems like a maddeningly frustrating level of this is all completely just ruined. And it's, you know, it just seems like it's an absolute mess for sure. It, you know something? It's also about. I can say this because my father was an immigrant in this country. OK, my dad came here at 14 years old. And built himself a life. He had a family. He did everything that he was supposed to do as an American, okay? Mm-hmm. Comes along the pandemic, okay? He mm-hmm. has health conditions. He dies because of said disease. Oh, I'm All sorry right? to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. And and I've said this over and over again, and I'm going to say this again, is that, again, we're, I'm not trying to put out any blame on any person, but when you have a system, when you have a government, of a country such as in the United States, and there is 
lack of communication. There's a lack of respect. There's a lack of humility. There's a lack of priority that's being taken into place. Look, things have changed. The reality right now is we are a country of over 300 million individuals, okay? We have housing issues. We have financial issues. We have a government issues. We have health. I mean, the list is just going on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And it's like, stop giving us Fox and CNN bullshit. I want to hear the fucking truth. What is actually going on? Mm-hmm. It's it's I mean, just not to reference the movie we were just talking about, but it is so hard to cut through all the white noise. Of, exactly. You know, of what is the actual you know, the news here that I need to know instead of your spin on it? What's the actual news? That is so frustrating. I do miss old school, like Walter Cronkite news stories of like, I'm just going to read you the event that happened and I'm not going to make a comment on it. And I'm not going to like editorialize and be like, what does Twitter think about this? It's just like, you know, these individuals stormed this place and five people died or whatever. Um, And then you as the audience had to be like, okay, uh, do I want to learn more about that and go and find your resources and figure out what you're figure out whatever details you can, but it is, it is kind of maddening just all the different spins on everything and how little bits of it are true or not true or, you know, yeah. editorialized and it's crazy. Let me, let me ask you, Dave, the, uh, before COVID and obviously the unfortunate events that happened with your father, did you ever get a chance to, to talk to him and see if, how he felt about such a common refrain among people who immigrate to this country is that they are chasing the American dream. And that mm-hmm. is such a nebulous concept um, and it means so many things to so many different people, but obviously it sounds like your dad moved here and he was able to establish a life and a family. Did he feel like he accomplished the American dream? Was that something he was chasing for? Or do you feel like he never quite was America, not what he was looking for or expected? He, my father was never really able to fully implement himself into American culture because of mm-hmm. how he was raised. Sure. And this happens with a lot of immigrants. Um, I know this because I have friends that have, we're, you know, we're first generations. And, you know, our the thing I will say about my dad was he had a, a pride in the patriarch for this country. Um, my dad was very proud to be American. And it symbolizes a very crucial part of this country, which is just like me, just like you, just like Everyone that's right here having this cup, we're all immigrants to this country. We're not from here. Mm -hmm. You know, we are the land of immigrants. We are a country that promises freedom, the right to free speech, the right to be who we want to be, the right to to do what we need to do for our families and for ourselves. Um, And that was a very strong component of my father's individuality as an American. How much of that translated into you? Sorry, I spoke over Shane there. How much of that do you think translated into you? It's actually kind of true. You know, it is. It it is. Um, I I do try to emulate emulate it as much as I possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. No, say it again, Chase, because I apologize. I talked right over you, but I think you made an important point. I was curious how much of that, Dave, do you believe uh, of your father's like stance and belief translated into you as far as like what you've done and this thing you're creating and this show you have right here? I th- well, I'll be honest. I think the, the the podcast kind of stemmed out of my dad's passing. Um, I made the podcast a year after he he um he passed away, and one of my my biggest strengths of doing this was. Being able to be heard, you know, um, for me as an artist and a creator and, you know, like I said earlier, like I, I love having conversations like with the two of you. This is this is something that I love doing on a day to day basis. Um, I, I wanted to be able to do something that would would kind of make him proud. Um, I, I, I say that this podcast is honored by other people, but in honest truth, I really have to give thanks to my dad. Because I don't think I would be able to do this if it wasn't for him. That's awesome. That's, That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, dude. The first gin and tonic was dedicated to Brian, who introduced him to you. But let's dedicate the second gin and tonic to cool. your dad. Let me grab. Um, I'm going to go grab. Um, you know what? Let's take a. You want to take a short break and then we'll come right back. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. We'll, yeah, yeah, we'll make do- our refills and we'll come right back. Yeah, yeah we'll be right back. The, 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 the thing that's so fun about the Naked Gun 
is that it's the same team that did airplane and mm-hmm. clearly it felt like and i don't know this this isn't like a verifiable fact but it felt like they said to themselves there needs to be a joke every 15 seconds if there isn't a joke every 15 seconds find a way to make a joke mm-hmm. every 15 seconds and it's just machine gun fire of all different types of wordplay physical comedy you know optical illusions like all sorts of funny things yeah. and it just never lets up it's a, yeah it was chase was the one who picked naked gun and i was so delighted when he did because it's a great movie it is just so funny and it is not a style of comedy that really exists now everything's sort of been i don't know it was unique in that it's it is funny every 15 minutes like shane was saying like every five or two minutes honestly like any possible thing they can fit I'm saying into the 15 writing seconds man like seconds, four jokes a minute yeah yeah no it is it is crazy you miss so much in it um yeah it cracks me up i love well, Robin, the thing is, Robin Williams spoke about this. Uh, you know, Robin spoken. Robin Williams was a very big emphasizer of one of the keys to comedy is improv. And his whole <laughs> shtick was he would create, you know, a variety of different characters, different sounds. Hi, oh, hey, and he would just do that over and over and over and over for hours. And this, believe it or not, like some of the films he did, like, um, you know, Good Morning Vietnam, there's mm-hmm. like 500 hours. Crazy number. I, I believe of, it. Of just him babbling. But sometimes that is the beauty of some artists where they, the way to be able to create some of these incredible films and this type of comedy, you need that type of creation. Right. You just need to kind of get it all out there. Speaking yeah. specifically of Robin Williams, I don't know. There, there was a there was a story that kind of got misconstrued last year in the press. Um, but the director of Mrs. Doubtfire had what he said was Robin Williams did so much improving for Mrs. Doubtfire that and he did so much blue material as well that that if I wanted to. I could assemble like a hard R rated cut of Mrs. Doubtfire. And the headline was there is a hard R rated cut of Mrs. Doubtfire sitting on a hard drive, ready to rock and roll. (laughs) That was not the case, but yeah, I mean, again, like he knew it was a children's film, but in order to get what you got in the movie, he had to just kind of in, not in a bad way. He had to like vomit out everything into his head and get it on screen. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's, I'm sure there was, there was a lot of blue material as well. I think that's the case with Aladdin too, that there's probably mm. a lot of R rated stuff that Disney animators obviously did not animate, uh, but I, that would be kind of cool to see too. I would also pay money to hear an R rated Aladdin. Honey, yeah. I'm with you. I, 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 will, I will fly out to LA just so we can be on the same line. Right. There you go. There you go. Yeah. The like, genie cursing up a storm while he sings. Oh my God. That would have made my childhood so much better but it's okay yeah. that's what disney should do right now instead of do it like disney instead of doing all the live action remakes oh my god just I, 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 don't, I don't want to go i don't want to go there animated Those live action, i i don't they somebody told me they're trying to make a live action version of lilo and stitch and i said listen hmm. okay first of all look i have this on my arm i have Is that i was about oh, to wow. ask that okay. that sounds lilo like stitch. it's a very a favorite movie of yours it's a favorite movie of mine and i'm like if disney does this to me i swear <laughs> i will I'm, com- I'm coming <laughs> You don't want a gritty reboot of Lilo and Stitch no. for Disney Plus? No, 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 no. Just leave our cartoons. Can they just leave our cartoons? This is hashtag leave our cartoons alone. <laughs> yeah, I'll sign on to that. Look, it's going to be all eyes are going to be on the Little Mermaid to see how that does. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because if you recall, the last live action remake that Disney put out there was Pinocchio. It was directed by Tom oh. Hanks. It, star- it was directed by Robert Zemeckis. It starred Tom Hanks. No one saw it. No one cared. And it, we just moved on. So I think I, I saw it. Oh, did you? Did you <laughs> I see saw it? it. How was I it? watched it. I actually watched it while I was getting one of my tattoos. There you um, go. So that, oh. that made the experience even greater. Yeah. Um, but was it, it was a Pinocchio tattoo? No, it, I think it was one of my the snake or one of these. Um, oh, okay. But it it was not entertaining. It was and I love Tom Hanks. And if he directed it, I didn't know that. But it, it really was almost shot for shot. But it was the most unengaging, like, I felt nothing for that entire movie. And so that was that was a bit of a miss. <laughs> what was the thought process there watching that movie? I imagine if you're going to get a tattoo and you I suspect <laughs> it's going to be painful, put on a movie that you know you like. <laughs> you I didn't know? have the choice. It was that the artist turned on Netflix 
And so it was that or like Camp Cretaceous, the animated thing was what he was also looking at, the Jurassic Park one. Mm. Um, See, and now you wish you would have gone with that. It would have been better. Because yeah. I, like, I was, it was, there was pain coursing through my body, but my face was also just like curled in confusion because I like, what, why are we watching this? And why does it exist? That was my, the thought that kept popping up for me. I don't blame you. I mean, I remember when I still have not watched the live action version of the Lion King and nor will I ever watch it. Um, you know, it, it's kind of sad because there are very few, there's only like what, one or two generations, you know, me that's born in the late nineties and then the early two thousands that can like generally appreciate the renaissance of the Disney films and the comedy and the, the, you know, the stupid shit that we watched as a kid, like mm -hmm. they don't make the silly stuff anymore. Like now everything is like, you know, you can't say this, it has to be more serious. Like the comedy's too dry. I'm not trying to be a critic, but like, come on, just loosen up. Just give us something. Right. Part I mean, look, here's the unspoken truth is that part of comedy is offending people a little bit, right? Yes. Pushing them out of their comfort zones. It's, it is not possible to have comedy that is completely 100% inoffensive because ultimately <laughs> a joke has to land at someone's expense, right? So if it's, you know, at like, if you want to make a joke about Abraham Lincoln, Mm -hmm. It's not really offensive per se because, you know, he's dead. But at the same time, if you would have made that same joke in 1862, it would have been like, whoa, <sighs> you know, way offensive. So we've just we've got to get past that era of like all jokes need to be completely 100 uh, mm percent -hmm. inoffensive because it takes some of the sting, some of the bite out of comedy, I think. I'm there for offending people a little bit as long as you're equally offending everyone you can. Like there is exactly. nobody that shouldn't be the at the expense of a joke. I agree. Um, but I recall, I think George Carlin had articulated once as far as like the guy, the, the key to a good comedy is in generally you can say whatever you want as long as you're punching up. Like as long as you're getting the, the, the greater group or the, the broader group, like as soon as you start punching down on undeserving or, you know, people that need your sympathy in the world, then the comedy starts to spin and get uncomfortable for people. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. See, the, the, this is important, especially talking about George Carlin is Johnny is Johnny Carson. Um, Johnny Carson was a very crucial part for a lot of people's experience for comics because mm -hmm. he introduced a lot of early comics that nobody ever heard of, mm -hmm. you know, just, um, it, it's just something for me personally. And, and, you know, the way that I, I view it films and, and, um, is comedy comedy. I, I, you know, it's one of the genres that I find a lot of favor to because it makes us happy. Like you said earlier, it's, it's inappropriate. I want to hear the fuck joke. I want to hear the dick joke. Okay. I want to hear about that British person that put his hand way up the nanny. I want to hear <laughs> all of it. Yeah. Because it's fun. That is what comedy is, right? It's fun. Mm -hmm. It's good, honest fun. Right. Good comedy is catching people by surprise and pushing them a little bit out of their comfort zone. That's exactly. where I think most good comedy exists. Yeah. You know, you might actually, you might be interested in this, Dave. I, I don't, I, it's either Shout TV or it's Pluto TV. I forget what app it is, but they have a Johnny Carson channel and it all it is, is it just 24 seven just replays old episodes of the Johnny Carson show. And when the pandemic hit and now we were all working from home and this, that, whatever, I ended up just finding that channel and just putting it on. And like, so just letting Johnny Carson play in the background <laughs> for five, six hours a day. And you're right, man. It was incredible to see him introduce all these people and, you know, whether they were celebrities or whatever, but especially stand-up comics. Um, and that was apparently the big deal is if he liked you, he invited you to come sit on the couch. That was mm -hmm. his like stamp of approval. And that was how, you know, Jerry Seinfeld and Wanda Sykes and Jay Leno and all these people got their start because Carson invited them to come sit on the couch. That was the boom stamp. You're famous now. You made it, kid. You know, they're it's an equivalent amazing. today. I don't know. Mm. Certainly not. Jim. Look, Jimmy Fallon has taken the tonight show and made it different generations get different things. I mean, the thing is it's, it's the, the Carson show just doesn't exist. You couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, all, all those people did was come out, tell a funny anecdote about like, Oh, I saw Jack Nicholson at a restaurant. We're, we're buddies. And that was kind of the end of it. 
now it's like when you go on a on a show like that it's like a variety show you got to sing you got to dance you got to you know whatever and good for jimmy fallon that he kind of turned the tonight show into like a variety show and that seems to be working for him but just the idea again you with so much more entertainment options it's like you got to sing and dance now you can't just go on smoke a cigarette and tell a funny story about your last movie you know it just doesn't doesn't work like that or i will never forget this uh, the time that they did an interview with Vincent Price. I, I think it was <laughs> David Letterman. I think it was David Letterman or Johnny Carson. And I remember he sat there. I did, like, like He sat there like this, and he was like, mm. <laughs> I think I've seen this. Indeed. Yes. Mm. Now I'm bored. And I was like, what? <laughs> Glorious good Vincent for, Price. Good for Vincent Price that he was able yeah. to just call that out, man. Yeah, what a legend. <laughs> Would you like me to tell you a spooky story? <laughs> like, <laughs> like you were saying, like the that's the thing too, and this is um especially like when we're kind of the indie, we're kind of like the the new general way of entertainment that's coming out, which is podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were saying like, what's the equivalent that we have today? I mean, to be honest, maybe we are the equivalent. Maybe Perhaps. we are what Ooh. was 20, 30 years ago. We're just a different version of it. I think you're probably onto something because there's just, it's, it's again, it's more of a conversation among friends and that's what those old shows used to mm-hmm. be. We're on your show. You're on ours. We're not making you sing and dance. You don't have to recite a poem or something. You know what I mean? It's, just, it's, just, <laughs> no, it's just a good conversation with people. You know, so maybe you're right. Maybe in a weird way, podcasts are kind of an avant-garde medium that harkens back to the older days. Nice. Um, we'll, be wild. We really made it whenever we get like a live band on the side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's my. I mean, we'll all we need is one drummer just for rim shots. But um, right. <laughs> just get Questlove in the background. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> Or even better, you could just get like a, you know, an animal to do it, right? Like if you get a monkey with a little drum, that'd be even better. That's the height of comedy. A seal. We can get a seal with a little, dr- with the. Any, any animal not doing an animal thing. This is the height of comedy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this monkey's in a suit. Ha ha ha. Wow, this just reminds me of the 60s. It's so, it's so bizarre. So, okay. So here's my experience with comedy. All right. And it's probably very old one of my dad's favorite comedy shows was with a man that probably most people who are listening to this podcast has never heard his name his name is jackie gleason mm-hmm. he was a famous comic he starred um in the jack and gleason uh, jackie gleason show he did the honeymooners mm-hmm. um the honeymooners which came out in the early 50s was one of my dad's favorite comedy shows and i will tell you this right now if you watch it today it's so fucking funny yeah it, it is, is funny. One also, of these days, Alice, to the moon. <laughs> to the moon, Alice, to the moon. It's, um, it's problematic, but it is funny. Yeah, there's a lot of sexism in there, honey. Time and place, time and place. Time and place, yeah. exactly. It was the 50s, you know. Yeah, doesn't Different necessarily time. make it right, but it also doesn't make it not funny either. You know, it's, yeah. yeah, that show is. Remember yeah, what we said was... earlier, though, about comedy is that comedy is supposed to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. It's supposed to kind of push you out of your comfort zone a little bit, make you laugh. Yeah. And as long as you're looking at a show like that and being like, I'm glad we've changed from that <laughs> like at <laughs> yeah. the bottom of it and not like, I wish we'd go back to that. No, we're not going. No, we're not <laughs> going back to those days as I mean, you know, we talk about the good old days, but like the truth is, I think I can say that the way things have been going now, I mean, like we live in a lot of safer times. Mm-hmm. We have a lot more protection. Um, we can get help a lot easier, you know. We were saying this earlier, like for a big portion of my life, getting in touch with people was kind of hard. You know, if you didn't have that quarter, you're not making that call. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was just reading a study in that was there was an article that was published in Time magazine based off this study that some college just did did a report where they, they found that over the course of a six month period, people who spent once or twice a week making a phone call to a friend that lasted seven minutes significantly improved their mental well-being as reported by themselves and kind of whatever so the takeaway was once or twice a week make a phone call to a friend Mm -hmm. right have a conversation that's 
seven minutes at minimum. And dramatically, people seem to have more stability and mental wellness and just feelings of happiness might not be the right word, but just feelings of kind of overall well-being um, by by getting in touch with people for, for seven minutes at a time. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And it's a good reminder to, you know, don't let we live in a busy world, but don't let the fact that we're all busy get in the way of the fact that you still want to contact people and get in touch mm-hmm. with people that you love, that you care about. Or if you have the ability, invite them onto a podcast to have a conversation that way. <laughs> that's true, too. Yeah, that's absolutely true, too. And believe it or not, and to anybody that's looking for some inspiration, I did that with a best friend, just like the two of you did. Um, you know, I had a good friend of mine, Carissa. We we made a segment together. which we, we call American Groove. It's all about stoner culture. We do it on Lost in the Groove. We do it every single week. Um just with that type of mentality, you know, we said, look, we, we talk every single week. I said, why don't we have a conversation with people about it? You know, let them be a part of it. And it's really, it's, I, 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 I'm saying this and I mean this, it's so important to have a connection in your life. Just talk to somebody. Like you said, just like two, three, four minutes. Mm -hmm. I promise you, like, it's not going to kill you. You, it's so important for us as humans to be connected. Absolutely. And to hear each other's voices too. Mm-hmm. Texting is great. Emailing is great. It's, it's a great shorthand form of communication, but talking to people and hearing their voice, hearing them react to the things that you say, it's a crucial part of well-being. I think I'm no expert, but you know, it's, it, isn't it great to get a phone call from a friend? It's, it's fantastic. You yeah. Know? How rare does that, like how rare is that feeling that somebody calls you and they're like, I didn't need to call you. I just wanted to call you because everything yeah. else in the world is because somebody had to. Yeah. Do you, Dave, do you get to work from home or do you have a little bit of a commute? Um, so I work, I work in a, um, in a call center. Um, I, I do have a commute. I do uh, drive about an hour each day. Gotcha. Um, so it's kind of crazy. Like for me, um, I'm not a full-time podcaster. I actually, mm-hmm. I work a corporate job, uh, nine to five, and then I go to school for nails. Um, they look lovely, oh. by the way. I, oh, yeah. I do them on the podcast. Ooh, <laughs> nails. Oh my God, they look yeah. gorgeous. Wow. Love the color. Love the color. It's Mine like, are decidedly less festive than you guys, but I did just get a pedicure with my wife a couple of uh, a week or two ago, and it's those are you. fantastic. Yeah, I love them. Oh man, Shane is Dave. apparently the straight straight man of the segment here. You know what? <laughs> so by default, I guess I am. Yeah. <laughs> for, but you know something? I think it's so important, especially for any guy. Um, pedicures and manicures are so helpful. Um, it's not just about beauty. You know, like for example, like if you can do it yourself. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. any guy can do give themselves a manicure if you have the right tools, and it literally just takes ten or fifteen minutes. It's like brushing your teeth. You know, if you're gonna brush your teeth, you have nails. Take care of them. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. A little goes a long way. Exactly. Uh, fun fact that I learned whenever I started painting my nails: nail polish was actually originally invented for men going to court. Yes. Really? What? Why? Yeah. To, for fancy, this is the time where they used to wear the big puffy outfits and crazy wigs. And the wigs, yeah, the barrister yeah, so wigs, like, yeah. I'm so fancy that I don't have commoner nails. I have crazy painted nails. I don't know. I don't know the logic behind it, but at some point it flipped from being like a courtly whatever to this is women paint their nails. I don't really know the history on that. Interesting. Yeah. Because the thing that I, because now it's like, I'm going to go back and like watch some movies and like if any that have like courtrooms like that. It's like, do they have painted nails? Is it historically accurate? Who knows? Well, Why they wear those wigs? <laughs> so if, if we want to have a conversation about fashion in general, okay. And one great example I can say about both of our generations. All right. Overalls. Do you guys remember overalls? Okay. As kids, that's kids, what we yeah. wore. We wore overalls. Overalls was a thing that people that were in skyscrapers, uh, plumbers, mm-hmm. you know, sewer workers, like people that actually like worked in mud and gut and dirt wore overalls because it was mm-hmm. a practical thing to wear. Yeah, they're and rough it, and like, tumble clothes. Yeah, exactly. And then it became like the trend for kids. The thing about fashion is it's not about gender. It's never been mm-hmm. about gender. OK, it's about of where can you promote this product? To what kind of audience? Mm-hmm. and how much revenue you can make out of it. So 
that's why I always say this is like, listen, honey, you won't express yourself whatever goddamn way hell you want to, because what the industry tells you, honey, <laughs> it's just all about money. Just yeah. go to the thrift store, have some fun. You want to wear a little furs, honey? Wear furs. You want to wear a little corduroy? Goddamn, wear some goddamn corduroy. Life's a little too short to not do the things that make you happy. I think Fuck as yeah. long as you're not doing anything that's hurting anybody, do what do what's making you happy. Because it's it's life is a little too fleeting. And if nothing else, we all learned that through COVID, didn't we? I mean, it's just yes. you never know. And so it's do what the makes one- you happy. The one thing that I will protest against for the rest of my life, however, are bucket hats. Mm, yeah, those should, those should have died in, in 1993. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it took till 2003, honey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Have you guys have ever seen uh, Matty Matheson? The, he's an he's a online internet. He's a chef, um, but mm. he's an internet personality. He's, he makes cooking videos. They're fun. He yells and screams a lot, and he's just kind of wacky. He's so, the only... Yeah. He's the only dude that can pull off a bucket hat, as far as I'm concerned. But he's the only guy that gets a pass, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> you have to be a fly fisherman in the wilds of Colorado. That is the only person that I allow to wear bucket hats. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, that was one thing. Like, I did actually live out in I, – I actually did live out in California mm-hmm. uh, for a year. I lived in L.A. Oh, nice. And, what neck of the woods? Um, I lived in Van Nuys. Hmm. Um, we were almost neighbors. Hey. Yeah, I did not have a great experience, unfortunately, um, but I did have a great experience with the people that I met there. And it, it's kind of crazy because like, I still like have people that I know that are out in LA. I have actually my brother that lives out um, in Los Angeles. And. OK, this is the one this is the one thing that I always found just so fascinating about, like living out there was. This idea that you have everything at your fingertips. Mm -hmm. You literally like have like as a creator, as an artist, like you literally have every single thing that you need at your fingertips. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just, well, and it's, and that's by design. I mean, even from the very beginning of the 1900s, when, when, when film and, and movies were essentially being invented, like Thomas Edison and all of those folks that that were moving out there and making motion pictures, they chose Los Angeles specifically because geographically it's so diverse. You are 30 to 40 minutes away from the beach, from snowy mountains, from forest, right? So depending on what you're shooting, you are not far away from any geographic location. And so because that locked in, then you had artists of all different Mm -hmm. calibers, all different artistic skill sets move here. And so there is just a, uh, there is a gluttony of incredibly talented people here um, who have a, a radically different interests. And you're right. Throw a rock. You'll hit what you're looking for. Yeah. You know. Um, but, yeah, I was happy with my experience that I had there. But I am I'm just one of those people that like I am. You know, the, the way that I kind of describe myself is, is that I I have a very 70s aesthetic. I live a very mm-hmm. 80s lifestyle. And I just like to keep things on the down low. So like, you know, kind of my general future of living is kind of country, you know, I need a little bit of a lake. I need a little bit of property, you know, I hear you piece of land to put your name on. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Trust me. It's hard to find in Los Angeles. My wife and I are trying, currently trying to buy a house and it is buying land is not cheap out here. (laughs) It's very expensive. Everybody wants to be here and everybody wants to own the property here. Yeah. Although I do believe that LA now is, is a distant third in terms of real estate prices from New York, who's number two and San Francisco, which is like number one by, by a wide, wide margin. It is so expensive. If we want to go there. with, San, this is great because I did a, we did an episode of Harvey milk um, with mm-hmm. Carissa uh, last year. And it was amazing. We got the Harvey milk foundation. They actually like, um, they reached out and I, oh, was, so cool. It was amazing. And the thing that, um, and me and like Chris, we literally like broke down on tears, like having this conversation was she said, like, what happened to San Francisco? And even now, I, I, I like it's a hard conversation to have. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's it just so got cool. It got too cool. Yeah. It, it's like this incredible the te- tech industry. 
like, dude, this is a city that was built by artists. It was built by artists after the earthquake in the early 1900s. And now it is so expensive to live there that and it's so impractical. It's like it's a part of the art world that can no longer exist and function and operate normally. Right. It's, just, it's hard to accept. Yeah. And it seems like a weirdly diverse, like a dichotomy of like, it's so expensive and yet cars apparently get broken into with like some regularity. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a great place to visit. We can all agree on that at least. Yes, it line. is. Yeah. It is Very a wonderful lovely. place to visit. So Dave, uh, to move us towards wrapping up a little bit here, uh, I was curious what kind of world we're talking about, uh, San Francisco being built by artists. If you could build a world for creatives, what would that look like to you? Mm, good question. That is a great question. Um, I think a world where, I think a a, a place where we can come together and have an open conversation, where we can sit down and say, I believe in this because of my faith. I believe in this because of my family. And we're able to separate those ideas and say, look, you want a safe place to live. You want good things in your life. You want your family to be healthy. You want to be healthy. We all want the same attributions. We want the same goals. We want the the same focuses and opportunities like everybody else. So the message I give as an artist is if we are the people that represent the weirdos and the freaks, the people that are different and the people that are strange, the people that are outspoken and they open themselves to different opportunities and see themselves for who they truly are. All it takes is a conversation. That's mm. how you create the community. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. Here, here. <laughs> I'll, drink drink I'll, yeah. I'll drink to that. How about that? Yeah, oh. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. This was so fun, dude. Thank you, yeah. Dave, so much for having us on the show. Of course. Um, this was fantastic. I, you know, hopefully one day we'll get to collaborate again. Yes, I really hope so. And um, I cannot say this uh, a- anymore. Anybody that's listening to this, please check out Two Drink Maximum. They're an awesome podcast. I heard you guys. You have um, new episodes coming out. Correct. Uh, yeah. So you got you have now two, three episodes. How many episodes do you have out now? We have two live. There is one that is airing, um, I believe February third is the date on that. And February third. Okay. Yes. And then Very exciting. That, just we track us on social media. Locked and loaded in the chamber. Yeah. So how can um, uh, you can find the podcast? I know you guys are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify, Apple, uh, Audible. We are on Google Play. We are also on uh, Deezer podcast service. Um, basically, anywhere and everywhere that you find podcasts, we're available right now. And best handle. Got to get the handle in here. It is at 2 Drink Maximum on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and then the same thing for Audible. Just search 2 Drink Maximum. Awesome. And thank you guys so much for joining us here on this interview on Lost in the Groove. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Lost in the Groove. And be sure to catch the next episode next week. We love you guys. See you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.